silly matches, dirty tactics, title changes, and a trip to England that doesn't exactly go as planned. It's the story of Tom Jenkins, part four. Crazy territory stories, double crosses, and swerves. Pro wrestling history nerds. Well, 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 look who it is. And by that, I mean it's me. Did you think I meant you? Maybe I mean both of us. Then what is with my tone? What is my problem? What is my problem? What am I talking about? Who am I? My name is Nick Gossert. I am a pro wrestling booker. I am a pro wrestling promoter. And more importantly for today, I am a pro wrestling historian. And for those of you who are new to the show, um, thank you. Thanks for stopping by. Thanks for checking it out. But you might notice the number of the episode showing Tom Jenkins part four. You might want to go back and listen to parts one, two, and three. I'm not saying you won't appreciate what we're doing. You won't enjoy the ride and the wacky stories. But sometimes it's best to hear the story in full, so maybe hit pause, download those three, go for a nice drive, ignore your loved ones and listen to my voice, learn all about Tom Jenkins and his adventures in the world of wrestling. And why did I pick this man? Why did I pick this era? As you probably have figured out, because I keep talking about it, over the last several episodes, the last few months, I've gone back to revisit the pioneer era, those periods of wrestling after the Civil War. I covered a lot of these back in the early days of the podcast where we talked about Gotch and Hackenschmidt, we talked about William Muldoon, we talked about Evan the Strangler Lewis, and looking back on those, I'm just not very happy with the information that was disseminated in those episodes. I wasn't researching the way I research now. I was reading books from other authors who did research years ago. They put together the best information they could find. They put together the best story and interpretation that they could do, but they were limited. They were, they were going to their local library and going through microfiche. They were finding bad information at times because back in these days, before radio, before the internet, before television, everything was newspaper related and you would have people catching a train to another city watching a match sometimes they were sports writers sometimes they weren't even involved in sports and wrestling was kind of confusing to them so sometimes you'd have wrong names you'd have wrong results you would have the right person winning but the wrong way with the right times so if you only had one source for a story you could very easily have the wrongest possible version of that story. So I'm now going deep into the archives myself, and this is a privilege of living in the year 2023. One of the few, one of the few privileges of living in 2023 is I have access to online newspaper articles and archives, so I can check out 15 different versions of the same story, try to put together the best one I possibly can, and that's what I present here to you. And hopefully it is the closest to truth that is possible, if it's even possible to fully capture the truth interpreted through newspaper articles from 120 years ago. So yeah, a bit of a handicap even at its best. And there are times when I do think about maybe should I delete those old episodes? Should I get rid of them because sometimes the bad information is a little embarrassing? But 
you know what, we're all learning together in a way. They were part of the growth, they're part of the show, they're part of the journey, but that's why I'm going back and kind of correcting things in a roundabout way. So instead of talking about William Muldoon a second time, we talked about Clarence Whistler. Instead of talking about Evan Lewis again, we talked about his manager, Parson Davies, and one of his greatest enemies at the end of his career, the Terrible Turk. Instead of talking specifically about Gotch and Hackenschmidt, we're now talking about Tom Jenkins, who to, you know, people who just have a cursory idea of wrestling history, they know Gotch, they know Hackenschmidt, but do they know Tom Jenkins, who at that time was just as big a star as the other two, just a few years earlier. So Jenkins was a huge star from like 1900 to about 1908. Kind of, that's kind of kind of patched together that window where he was a big star, an internationally known name, and Gotch kind of eclipsed him as the years went by. But if you listen to the last episode, we explored the first match between Tom Jenkins, the American Catches Catch Can champion, and this hot up and comer labeled the Klondike champion. If you know that story, you know that story. It's in our Carnival Wrestling episode. Frank Gotch. So we have the hot up and comer who one day would be a legend against the biggest star in the world who for a lot of casual history fans becomes more of a footnote in Gotch's career. A weird intersect if you will. And also from last episode you might remember him trouncing Dan McLeod maybe one too many times. They were the top two guys in the wrestling industry at that time. So of course it makes sense for their rivalry to be important, their matches to be important. It's something where they can do a match in different big cities and it should theoretically draw. That is the way the business had been run. But with print media able to telegraph and send print media coast to coast in a much quicker fashion, the information about those matches hit people a lot faster, they had the details, so by the time maybe a Jenkins-McLeod match got to their city, it kind of felt old, it kind of felt tired, it didn't have the excitement that maybe it would have 10 years ago, despite it being the first time those men appeared in public, let alone together in front of that specific audience. And we're gonna pick up in 1903, late 1903, and Thankfully, we got to start off with a bit of a weird one, a bit of a silly one. From the Buffalo Courier on November 1st, 1903, Tom Jenkins and Tom Sharkey are soon to wrestle in Florida for the World Championship. This is a rich joke, surely. What a headline. Yeah, uh, Tom Jenkins, catches catch can champion of the world, taking on boxer, like notorious slugger Tom Sharkey. And in early November, the papers were hyping and mocking this match, which was set for a big carnival in Jacksonville, Florida. The New York Evening World on November 7th, quote, Tom Jenkins and Tom Sharkey do a high and lofty tumbling act in Jacksonville, Florida today for the title of World's Heavyweight Catches Catch Can Wrestling Championship. Verily, the Southern sports have not read of the gold brick man. Had they done so, the promoter who promoted this match would be doing time in Jacksonville's darkest dungeon, and the sailor bold would be in the next cell as an accessory before, during, and after the fact. Referencing Sailor Tom, Tom Sharkey. 
Sharky was once a great fighter. When he forgot how to shut his eyes and swing, he took to wrestling. He was never a great wrestler and, unless he carries a grappling apparatus into his mad engagements, never will be. So yes, clearly everybody was super convinced this was a truly competitive match and worth paying to see. Quote, Jenkins down Sharky, read the headline on November 8th, 1903, in the sports page of the Atlantic Constitution. Jenkins retains his title with two straight falls, the first in 14 minutes and the second in 16. So, yeah, we've got another nice little gimmick match, a boxer on the decline, picking up some money, having fun in pro wrestling, which is something you see all the way up to the present day when people from other sports, a lot of times combat sports, you know, they lose their edge. Like boxing, MMA, kickboxing, these are all very taxing on the brain, the body, the soul, the heart. So a lot of times they're able to take their drawing power and go have fun in the world of professional wrestling. And that's what Tom Sharkey did, and that's what they got called out for in the media. But don't worry, sports fans. December 22nd at Madison Square Garden, yet another match with Dan McLeod. The Baltimore Sun reported that the two men were training hard and, quote, their bout promises to be the most grueling ever witnessed in New York. The fact that the stranglehold may be used is reason enough for expecting this. The bout will mark the first time New Yorkers have seen in their own city the use of the deadly grip in the match, end quote. The match was to a finish, with a winner meeting George Hackenschmidt in England afterwards. The betting odds were in Jenkins' favor, shifting from 7-5 to five to 10-9. to nine. So, the stranglehold. We saw this a decade previous with Evan the Strangler Lewis, where he made this hold so deadly, so dangerous, that it had to be banned for the competitive sake of wrestling as a whole, and to just not horrify audiences with the brutality of it. Similarly, 20 years later, Ed the Strangler Lewis was doing something similar with his scarf hold and headlock, where it was just built up as a gimmick move that was so dangerous that people could potentially die from it, and it would nearly cause riots everywhere he went. So adding in a dangerous band hold was a really great gimmick, kind of like doing a hardcore match today as a blow-off. The Indianapolis Journal claimed it was McLeod's idea for the stranglehold to be allowed. Quote, McLeod is said to be an adept at clapping it on an opponent and choking him until blue in the face. Suffocation forces him to put his shoulders down. End quote. The article pointed out that the match, having no holds barred, would be a special attraction since the two men had wrestled six times in the last six years. Again, sounds like a big blow-off to a big feud, a hell in a cell, a cage match, a death match, a whatever you want to call it, however you want to do it, so long as it sells tickets one more time. The Waterbury Democrat claims the match drew about 3,000 fans. Quote, If last night's enthusiasm is any criterion, this particular branch of sports is as popular as in the days when Clarence Whistler and Billy Muldoon were the knights of the mat. So, high praise for the New York turnout. Uh, if you remember the Clarence Whistler episodes, him and Muldoon would absolutely pack Madison Square Garden, big attractions. So it's very encouraging, very promising, that out-of-town wrestlers, out of an out-of-town champion, is drawing just as hot 
in New York City. The match began at 9.48 p.m. with McLeod taking Jenkins down and both men seeking an advantage. After Jenkins muscling his way out of a pin, the two men got into some rough tactics, as they say. It came to an end when, quote, McLeod applied a half Nelson and had one of Jenkins' shoulders against the mat. In trying to wriggle free, Jenkins fell into a stranglehold. Gradually but surely, McLeod pinned him down for a clean fall. The time was nine minutes and 32 seconds. In the second fall, Jenkins was constantly hunting a hammerlock. Around the 16 minutes, he almost got caught in a stranglehold. Jenkins escaped it, caught McLeod in a Nelson and an arm hold for the pin at 22 minutes and 18 seconds. The third fall started at 11 p.m. with McLeod taking Jenkins down with a trip. McLeod seeming to be on the offensive for a while, then playing good defense against Jenkins, but in the end, it was Jenkins pinning McLeod at the 10 minute, 39 minute mark. So we have a great match. We have them teasing the stranglehold. I'm a little disappointed that nobody was beaten with the stranglehold because I'm almost certain this was a worked match. It doesn't make a lot of sense for, as you'll see how things unfold, for them to be trying to fight over a shot against George Hackenschmidt in England and not have it prearranged. These men were very familiar with each other at this point, and they were having that stranglehold be allowed. And if I were booking it, I would of course have the final throw be done via stranglehold, but maybe that would have been too obvious. Maybe that would have been too much of a Rocky wins big cinema moment. Or maybe either men didn't trust the other one with their neck that way. I can imagine there's, a, you know, no matter how much you trust a guy in these days, can you really trust him to let go when you start tapping or you signal to the referee? A lot of X factors, and you always have to look out for yourself and your own safety, so I get it even though I feel the crowd would have gone insane for that finish. And up next, another rematch, but an exciting one. The Bellingham Washington Herald on January 26, 1904. Greatest athletic event in the history of the Northwest. Tom Jenkins, world champion heavyweight wrestler will meet Frank A. Gotch, the Iowa Cyclone, for the world's championship. For a purse of $2,000 and a $2,000 side bet. First class preliminaries. Prices, 50 cents, 75 cents, $1, $1.50, and $2. Ringside and box seats, $2.50. To clarify, each man made a $1,000 side bet for the total of $2,000. So, it's a situation where they had to put down their $1,000 guarantee, they had to have their backers or it was out of their personal pocket. They show up and they go at it. So divided, the purse would be divided 75, 25, and either way, it was a lot of money in 1904. The Buffalo Courier claimed, quote, Frank Gotch is the only man in America today who stands a chance of taking the championship from Jenkins. The Bellingham Herald on the 27th claimed that betting was light. Maybe they had seen one too many rematches, one too many obviously fixed matches. Who can say? The Tacoma Daily Ledger on the 28th 
Bellingham, January 27th. In what was probably the hardest-fought wrestling match in the history of wrestling in this country, Frank A. Gotch of Humboldt, Iowa, demonstrated tonight before 5,000 people that Tom Jenkins of Cleveland, Ohio, who has retained the title for six years, is no match for him in fastness or science. The match began at 10.10 p.m. and had a very cautious start. Jenkins was having a lot of trouble with Gotch's agile footwork, which meant Jenkins could not gain an advantage in position or takedown, which is a rather serious problem in a wrestling match. Jenkins escaped numerous bad spots by rolling off the mat and having it restarted. In the end, it didn't save him, as Gotch forced his shoulders down at the 56 minute 30 second mark. Quote, at the end of the first bout, Jenkins' seconds had to carry him to his corner and administer restoratives. Smell the key, Tom, and everything will be just fine. <laughs> the second fall was full of cheap shots and rough tactics. Jenkins alleged that Gosh was trying to gouge his eye, and with only one eye, you can imagine that he'd take that rather personally. And Jenkins repeatedly put Gotch in strangleholds. When Gotch escaped one, a frustrated Jenkins threw a punch that, quote, had it landed, would have knocked him out. The referee jumped between the men, who continued lunging at each other until the ring was clear. Later in the article, quote, No one saw any attempt by Gotch to gouge Jenkins' eye, but everyone saw Jenkins put on the strangleholds and strike a heavy blow at Gotch. Jenkins was disqualified for illegal holds and the punch, and after the match, Jenkins made a statement to the audience. Quote, I have only one eye, and do not propose to let the other one be gouged out by anyone, he said. Whenever anyone tries for the other eye, I am going to fight. I admit I did wrong, and am sorry for it. He was hissed by the audience. Gotch, the new champion of America, retired to his dressing room without making a statement. Hippodrome or shoot match? It seems awfully good timing to drop the title leading up to an extended tour of the UK and a match against Hackenschmidt, who could have claimed the title if he beat Jenkins. Was it a heel turn to make Gotch likable, stirring up drama with fouls, manufacture drama, or just Gotch being a dirty wrestler and Jenkins getting the heat for retaliating? I, of course, will say it was a work. It was a hippodrome because the booking is simply too good. Gotch was known as a bit of a dirty wrestler. Jenkins was known as a fairly clean babyface type. So Jenkins is going on an extended trip to Europe. And this isn't modern day travel where you get on an airplane and you land there 12 hours later and you stay there for a week and then you fly back. No, it's like a boat ride. And then you're there for at least a month or so. And Jenkins was trying to get a match with George Hockenschmidt, who was notoriously upright and noble and clean in the wrestling business, not wanting to do worked matches, being very contemptuous of those who did. And if Jenkins had gone out there and gotten steamrolled by Hackenschmidt while wearing the belt, well, guess what? Now the title, the lineage title that had been circulating the United States for quite some time was now held by George Hackenschmidt. And it's not only a matter of will he come to America to defend it, it's will he be willing to do business or would anybody even be able to beat the Russian lion? All of these are very important questions when you're trying to promote professional wrestling. So Gotch, 
has now won the championship. Gotch has his first title win, his first title. Jenkins won the match with a stipulation of, oh, now he gets to go to Europe to face Hackenschmidt. But again, it was Gotch's time. You know what? You can't drop it to McLeod. McLeod's been run over. He's squashed flat. So Gotch was the next reasonable guy. Gotch was going to be the guy who would draw hot. The behavior of Jenkins made everybody more sympathetic to Gotch. So it really primed him for a good run while Jenkins sailed across the ocean, hoping to take down the Russian lion, the most imposing man in Europe at the time. March 4th, 1904, the Buffalo Times. Jenkins, tough job. Quote, when wrestler Tom Jenkins lands in England, he will find a chap named Hackenschmidt waiting for him with outstretched arms. Hackenschmidt will defeat Jenkins, beyond a doubt. He is too strong, fast, and clever for the American, combining as he does all the skills, science, and strength of a born athlete. He should defeat Jenkins in straight falls. Moreover, Jenkins will not be able to fix up any job with Hackenschmidt, as the Russian is always a stickler for work on the level, while very few of Jenkins' matches will bear investigation. Which is true, but it's a rude way to say it. Jeez. March 12th, 1904, New York Times, broke up wrestling match, because complete sentences were not in the style at the time, apparently. Tom Jenkins versus the Butcher Boy, John Pining, at Solzer's Harlem River Casino on Friday, March 11th. Jenkins won the first fall at 28 minutes, 10 seconds, under catch rules, and was dominating the second under Greco-Roman rules when Pining's manager entered the ring to argue the time conditions of the rules, most likely to buy the obviously exhausted Butcher Boy some time. Quote, After the loud and angry protestations of the spectators, the referee, F. Laurie Barnett, declared the match unfinished. Pining at the time was puffing vigorously outside of the ropes. The article pointed out that Jenkins was 200 pounds against Pining's 165. So, one that, just based on the, on the finish, I'm calling a work, that's pretty much how the business was really leaning, unless it was a very unimportant match. Clearly, Jenkins wasn't going to win a match on the way out, all the way to uh, face Hackenschmidt, and he was taking on Pining. But when you have a size difference of that magnitude, I mean, it's a lot of weight difference, a lot of, a lot of mass to give up in a legitimate competition. But if you beat him, well, it did nothing for the Butcher Boy. But that idea of him just being worn down and so exhausted and so tired from fighting off the much bigger, much stronger man. It really sets up some nice drama. You know, the manager getting in there and causing an argument, causing a ruckus. It really just kind of makes it exciting, makes it dramatic, so that really nobody loses too much face as the night comes to the end. And the crowd is more wild up by the excitement of how it ended, as opposed to the bullshit non-finish. March 14th, 1904, wrestler Jenkins sails for England, according to the Washington, D.C. Evening Star. Quote, a large delegation of sporting men was on hand to see Jenkins off. Jenkins was accompanied by George Whedon of New York City, who will act for him abroad. Jenkins goes to England to meet George Hockenschmidt of Russia, who possesses such wonderful strength that he is able to crush his opponents if he has a mind to. The Butte Daily Post on March 28th, quote, 
He expects to get a match with George Hackenschmidt, the Russian who breaks the arms of terrible Turks before breakfast, and then cries because he hasn't enough work to do. So clearly, everybody has a firm belief behind Tom Jenkins' ability against George Hackenschmidt. April 5th, sports pages across the nation published, Won't Wrestle Jenkins, claiming the negotiations between Jenkins and Hackenschmidt's camp broke down because Jenkins won't wrestle a purely Greco-Roman rules match with Hackenschmidt, and that Hackenschmidt has no interest in mixed rules matches. It makes a lot of sense. Hackenschmidt was a Greco-Roman wrestler. Tom Jenkins was a catch-as-catch-can wrestler. And when you kind of put them into catch rules or mixed rules, it really does put the Greco-Roman man at a disadvantage because he is not used to having his legs attacked. He is not used to submission attempts. And yes, Hackenschmidt was familiar with catch-as-catch-can. He had done mixed rules. He had done tournaments in Europe, in England, but his primary competitive rule set was Greco-Roman. It's where his strengths were. It's where his physical strength gave him extra abilities. He was just built for Greco-Roman. He was experienced in Greco-Roman. And you know what? He'd never seen Tom Jenkins wrestle. He just knows he's a dangerous sh uh, shooter from the Americas, a catch-as-catch-can guy. He doesn't know what toolbox he has. He doesn't. He's never seen the guy compete. So it is always a problem to say, hey, I need to maintain my image. I need to maintain my record. But you know what? I'm not risking it against an unknown dangerous opponent under a rule set that favors him. Waterbury Democrat, April 7th. Jenkins trip useless. Quote, Tom Jenkins is not likely to have a chance to meet George Hackenschmidt, the Russian lion, on the wrestling mat, unless the American is willing to wait until September for a match. Again, not only is it a rule set in that whole situation I just described, Hackenschmidt was a very busy man, and his priority were Greco-Roman. So what does Jenkins do? Well, according to the Waterbury Democrat, April 14th, with Hackenschmidt claiming he's booked until September, Jenkins is trying to get a match on English soil against Madrali, the Terrible Turk. April 18th, the New York Sun reported the night before Tom Jenkins with Monroe, the Scotch champion at Glasgow, and was unable to throw him in the 20-minute time limit. So we have him doing the challenge matches. We see him at theaters, at the vaudeville-style halls, doing the time limit challenge matches, doing the I have to throw you however many times in such amount of time or I lose. He's just keeping busy, making money, doing carnival stunt matches. And I don't blame him. You know, he it it is not an easy thing to get to England today, let alone back in those days. So yeah, he was trying to wait out Hackenschmidt, trying to get a match with that man. But while he's there, he's got to make money. He's got to impress people. He's got to, heck, just do something to pass the time. April 23rd, Butte Daily Post. Jenkins unable to get a match in London. Broke his agreement. Quote, It seems that Jenkins had made all sorts of arrangements with B.H. Benton, better known as Rob Roy, to look after his interests on the other side. At the last moment, he repudiated this arrangement and again placed himself under the care of George Whedon, who was looking after the interests of Harry Pollock. 
Benton sought revenge. He went to England too, and being an Englishman and well acquainted over there, has so far succeeded in keeping Jenkins out in the cold. Benton has challenged Jenkins' right to call himself, quote, the champion catch-as-catch-can wrestler of the world, and with him to substantiate his claim, he has the newspaper account of the bout between Jenkins and Frank Gotch, in which the former was defeated. Which absolutely is just the pettiest, most amazing thing I have read in a long time. Yeah, Jenkins apparently broke a business deal with an English promoter and didn't trust him, whatever the reasons were. He goes over there, and this guy was so pissed about it, he went back to England as well with copies of the newspaper and making damn sure everyone around knew that Jenkins lost his previous match in America, that he lost the title, that he could not claim to be the American champion. Because again, that's kind of what everyone did. You know, you lose a title, you just say you're the champion somewhere else. And that was true going across the pond where he was like, yeah, man, I'm still the catch-as-catch-can champion of America. How do you know otherwise? You don't, so shut up. What are you going to do? Google it? What's Google? You'll, your grandchildren will find out when they are old. April 24th, Buffalo Morning Express. Jenkins wrestled at the Hippodrome, quote, the Monday last, after which Mr. Beresford offered him an entire tour, but Jenkins turned it down because he came to England solely to wrestle Hackenschmidt. Instead, he accepted a five-week engagement, hoping to have an agreement with the Russian Lion by the time it was over. Jenkins defeated Peter Bannon, quote, who put up an exceedingly good show against the American champion, who occupied seven minutes, 34 seconds in disposing of his man. At the second performance, Jenkins wrestled with Ernest Basasley of Oldham, whom he offered a sovereign for every minute he lasted over five. He was made secure in five minutes, 30 seconds. Tomorrow at a special matinee, Jenkins meets Ferdinand Grun for 50 pounds a side. So, yeah, he's making money. He's got his objective. He's trying to get in the ring with Hackenschmidt, but he's staying hot, competing. I feel like almost all of these were shoot matches. The Brits didn't work at the same rate that their American cousins did. It was still a very competitive sport. I'm not saying works weren't rife in the business, but there's no reason to put over Jenkins. There's no financial angle for them, no reputational angle for them, no promoter angle for that. So I feel that these wins are legitimate. These were legitimate matches. That's my opinion. Clearly I wasn't there. I might be wrong. And I do want to complain for a moment. Do you have any idea how hard it was to search the name Tom Jenkins in England in 1904. So many Tom Jenkins lived in England in 1904. It is a very English, well, it's a Welsh name. So I had to sort through 10 newspaper articles to find the one which was about the right Tom Jenkins. So hopefully you're appreciating my research. April 27th, Liverpool Daily Post. Wrestling at the Hippodrome, the Bulldog earns 25 pounds. In front of a packed house to see Tom McInerney challenge Jenkins, McInerney didn't show. So Tom Clayton of Farnsworth took his spot. Quote, It was only after some three minutes wrestling on the perpendicular that he was brought to his knees, and even then he rounded to his feet with the elasticity of an India rubber ball. 
The crowd was behind the bulldog Tom Clayton, and Clayton managed to meet the 10-minute time limit without being thrown and earned the 25 pounds. He then told Jenkins he would wrestle him to a finish for 50 pounds aside. According to the Liverpool Echo on April 28th, that match was accepted for the 50 aside and was set for that Saturday as a special matinee at the Hippodrome. This is pro wrestling booking 101. You lose the time limit match, so the big name loses by not winning or not winning enough. It builds up a challenger who seems to, you know, if I if this match had gone another five minutes, I would have beat the big name. I would have beaten the champion, but there wasn't enough time. But if everybody comes back and buys another ticket on Saturday, well, you'll see me give him what for without a time limit. Meanwhile, the American is being opposed nightly in each house by aspirants whose effort to secure the 25-pound prize generally makes an interesting display. Liverpool Daily Post, April 30th, as well as advertisements in other papers, focus on the challenge to McInerney, who told the Hippodrome management that if Jenkins puts down a guarantee, he'll accept the challenge to a two-out-of-three catches-catch-can match. Manchester Evening News, May 2nd. An ad posted that Court Dorelli is challenging Tom Jenkins for any amount. Quote, a reply to this paper will receive immediate attention. And right below it is an ad for Hackenschmidt forfeiting 25 pounds to any man who could last 15 minutes with him at the Palace Theatre in London. And back in the U.S., papers were claiming that Frank Gotch, quote, will meet a foreigner by the name of Hackenschmidt at St. Louis this summer. If he was aware of this, it must have burned Jenkins' ass to hear it. So he's over there scraping and begging and waiting out a match with Hackenschmidt, and true or not, the U.S. media is hyping that Gotch, who's now the champion, the top man in America, will be facing Hackenschmidt for sure in St. Louis. The Buffalo News on May 7th reported that Jenkins beat Jack Clayton, meaning Tom, but who cares when covering wrestling in England, in two straight falls, and has put down 1,000 pounds with Sporting Life of London to secure a match versus Hackenschmidt. Various other papers, of course, hyped Clayton as, quote, one of the best English wrestlers. The Montreal Gazette reported that Jenkins won with a hammerlock in 11 minutes, 3 seconds, and then a half Nelson in 13 minutes and 2 seconds. So take a moment and think about what a thousand pounds was worth in 1904. That is a lot of money. You have to have a considerable amount in pocket or very rich backers to put it down. But he put down a thousand pounds, guaranteeing he would show up to face Hackenschmidt, which I know if I was about to forfeit a thousand pounds today, I would definitely show up and take that beating. May 17th, the Birmingham, not Alabama, of course, Dispatch reports that Jenkins ratified a match against ex-amateur champion Fred Groon for two out of three falls with $200 aside. It states that they have met twice, with Grun winning the talent money the first time and losing the second. I assume this means Grun answered the open challenge at one of those theater shows. The Chicago Tribune covered the same matchmaking and that it will take place, quote, after Jenkins' match with Matchenschilt? They tried, I assume.
I assume they tried. The London Weekly Dispatch on May 8th clears up a few misconceptions. One, that Jenkins didn't post the thousand pounds. It was posted by Count Dorelli's backers, who were still posting newspaper ads to challenge Jenkins, and declared that, quote, the Turk, who is a giant in build, will throw Hackenschmidt. Hackenschmidt had no interest in the match with Dorelli, but that Jenkins now had made a reputation and was worth wrestling. The paper stated that Jenkins was two inches taller than the Russian, but is a stone's disadvantage, with a Russian lion weighing 15 stones, which is around 215 pounds. So yeah, so Jenkins had put in the work around England. Hackenschmidt's scouts probably saw enough of his work to say, okay, we know what this guy's all about. We see how he moves. We've kind of felt him out as a person. Okay, we can do business with this guy to make a match, and we don't feel like it'll turn into a shit show. Or if it does, Hackenschmidt can pull his arms off. In typical American style, the Chicago Tribune printed, quote, Tom Jenkins has undertaken to wrestle one Hackenschmidt for the world's championship. Tom will probably find it easier to tackle the man than his name. Manchester, the, the Manchester Courier and Lancashire General Advertiser, May 9th, Jenkins, America, versus Charles Green, Wigan. The two met in Leeds for 25 aside. A grand bout was seen, but Green was suffering from a severe cold, and Jenkins got the better of a keenly contested struggle in 16 minutes and 53 seconds. I like making excuses, too. So yeah, there's, uh, there's really nothing, uh, nothing like taking a loss and then claiming you had a cold. Well... You're too sick to uh, too sick to wrestle. You should have stayed home, you silly goose. May twenty third, papers across the nation announced the Hackenschmidt versus Jenkins match. In the Buffalo News, it was reported that the match would take place in London on July second. Two out of three falls, Greco-Roman rules, and for ten thousand dollars. The Dayton Herald specified that quote intimated that he will give permission for the match to take place in Albert Hall, which is a memorial to Prince Albert. And if you're curious about the venue, make sure to specify Royal and Hall while Googling Prince Albert. Trust me. Saturday, May 28th, Jenkins beats Alex Monroe, the Scottish champion, in Catches Catch Can rules. Two falls to one in Glasgow, according to the Birmingham, Again, not Alabama, Gazette, and Express. According to the Nottingham Evening Post, Monroe won the first fall in 11 minutes and 58 seconds, with Jenkins coming back and winning two straight falls. The Wilkes-Barre Time leader, Evening News on June 16th, made the cringiest of comparisons to Hackenschmidt. Quote, Jenkins' cleverness is undisputed, but he is not so heavy as the Russian. It is a safe gamble that if the Tsar soldiers are anything like Hackenschmidt, they will wipe Japan out of the geography books. He is a grizzly bear and a mountain lion, together with two or three wildcats, boil down and run into one mold. The Japanese-Russian war was raging at the time, so sure, why not compare that to a wrestling match in London? While June was spent hyping the London match against Hackenschmidt, Frank Gotch was picking up steam as the new champion in the United States with tons of coverage of his matches and personality. 
Yet it was still Jenkins who was seen as the measuring stick of wrestling skill. It was either, quote, he defeated the great Tom Jenkins, or, quote, he's good enough to have a match with Jenkins upon his return to America. So, yeah, Gotch was a new star, but even though he won the title, it was still Jenkins who was seen as the top guy. You know, sometimes you'll, you'll, because he lost via disqualification. He didn't lose clean. He didn't have his shoulders pinned. He didn't raise a finger in submission after catching, being caught in a submission hold. So it was more Gotch's title to lose than it was Jenkins' title to win. The U.S. papers were covering the upcoming match, printing old news of Jenkins' matches in England as the story slowly drifted west. The Appleton-Wisconsin Post-Crescent published a sizable breakdown of the match and both men's skills. Quote, The falls are to be fair pinfalls, and providing either man claims disablement, the disabled contestant is to be examined by two doctors, and if these are satisfied as of his disablement, he loses the contest. The committee particularly wish the public to realize that this is an absolute genuine match, without reservation of prearrangement of any sort, which is honestly intended to settle the wrestling championship and in guarantee of their bona fides, they offered a reward of 25 pounds to any man, any committee, or any newspaper furnishing them with any clue that shall prove collusion or chicanery in the match. The winner will take two thirds and the loser one third of the 2000, which will be deposited with and paid over by the editor of The Sportsman. Later in the article, quote, The wrestling mat is to be three inches thick and 18 feet square, and as will be gleaned from an advertisement, the prices will range from five shillings to five pounds, five shillings. So they are bending over backwards to assure the public that this is a real match. And in many cases, I would just say that's a gimmick work a very snug and technical match, but again, this is Hackenschmidt, so I feel this was a legitimate lead-up. This was them trying to ensure the betting public and ticket-buying public that this won't be some hippodrome bullshit like you see back in the United States. But back in the U.S., a plan for a Jenkins-Gotch rematch was already being put in the books. According to the Davenport Daily Times, on June 24th. So yeah, win, lose, whatever. What happens in England stays in England, thanks to the lack of television, internet, and radio. So win, lose, or draw, Jenkins would arrive back in the U.S., more or less reputation intact, and ready to take his title back from Jenkins if that's the way it was going to go. But for the time being, it was all about him and Hackenschmidt in London. The Birmingham Gazette and Express had a breakdown on June 30th. Jenkins, 5'10", versus Hackenschmidt, 5'8". 19-inch neck versus 22. 46-chest versus 52. 16-inch arms versus 18. 24-inch thighs versus 27. 6.5 calf versus 17. But these numbers are deceptive with the body types of both men. Jenkins was quoted as saying, Naturally, I think I can beat Hackenschmidt, or I would not have challenged him and come across the Atlantic to meet him. I have seen him wrestle, and he strikes me as being a fine, big, strong fellow, but that is all. 
It is true, however, that he was not wrestling with men nearly as good as himself, so he did not have to do his best. So it was impossible for me to tell just how good a wrestler he may be. I mean to throw him anyway. From Hackenschmidt, quote, I do my best on Saturday. Is all that Hackenschmidt would say when the writer asked him his opinion on the result of the great match. Quote, I do my best. A man cannot do more. Yes, I write it down for you. <laughs> so you could tell Hackenschmidt didn't have a flair for the dramatic. He was not a showman in the sense of he was going to cut a great promo. He would not get signed to WWE without a strong manager. Maybe they could put him with yay old Paul Heyman. I don't know. But Jenkins was there to rile people up. He was there to talk some shit and sell some tickets. He was there to do some pro wrestling, even if it was going to be legitimate wrestling. And according to the Derby Daily Telegraph on the first, wrestlers at loggerheads, George Lurich, remember him? Check out our George Lurich series to learn more. And a man named Allen were summoned to defend accusations that they claimed the Albert Hall contest was a put-up job. Lurich denied this, which is a very George Lurich thing to do. He beat Hackenschmidt when Hackenschmidt was a trainee, and then he spent many years traveling the world boasting about how he beat the Russian lion, but would always duck out of town when an opportunity for a rematch would come up. So, of course, he had to kick a little dirt on that match and almost got in trouble for it. The July 2nd match was covered by the people, London, the following day. Hackenschmidt defeats Jenkins, a fine contest, a victory for Russia at last, but at the Royal Albert Hall. After the undercard matches, Jenkins made his entrance in black trunks and a waistband composed of the stars and stripes. Hackenschmidt was in dark blue trunks. Quote, Time having been called, the men commenced the struggle at 9.59 in an almost oppressive silence. Beginning the bout, the men wrestled close on three minutes ere they fell to the mat, with Hackenschmidt uppermost. Just after six minutes, the men were on their feet, but Hackenschmidt was again top Sawyer. Nine and a half minutes had expired when the Yankee caught the Russian napping and brought him down, but soon he had the yank under. A seesaw struggle ensued, though it was clear that the Russian had a bit up his sleeve, and at the end of 20 minutes, he showed his hand, and putting an arm lock on his opponent, which was not to be denied, he pressed his man over and gained the fall at 20 minutes, 37 seconds. After a brief respite, the men were called from their corner to commence the second and, as it turned out, the last bout. Jenkins was quickly on the aggressive and had the Russian on the mat in a twinkling. Hackenschmidt, however, was soon out of trouble. Jenkins was quickly after his man again, and first one man and then the other had the best position, and it looked to be a fall for either man. In the second minute, Hackenschmidt picked Jenkins clean off his feet and threw him face downwards. The Yankee made a game effort and was once more on his feet. Jenkins had Hackenschmidt on the mat when seven minutes had been called, and he tried an arm lock. The Russian, however, escaped and at once went for his man. Three minutes later, the Russian looked certain of obtaining a fall, but the American was as game as a pebble and provided Hackenschmidt with a rare puzzle. After 12 minutes, the Russian twisted Jenkins round and round on his head and threw him. 
Shortly after this, we came to the finish. Once Hackenschmidt nearly had his man down and one shoulder touched, but in his final effort, Jenkins slipped clean with wonderful agility amid loud cheering. The Russian did not give his man a moment's breaking time, and after another lock secured a good hold. By sheer strength, Hackenschmidt forced his man back into an awkward position, from which there was little chance of escape. He quickly pinned his man in one, the bout lasting 11 minutes, 27 seconds. The Derby Daily Telegraph pointed out that Jenkins put on a much better showing against Hackenschmidt than the Turk Madrali did. Quote, Hence the bout of 20 and 14 minute duration gave the spectators better value for their money than was the case at Olympia, when all was over before ladies had taken off their wraps or people had settled down in their places to witness a battle of giant animal strength. It's kind of like the Mike Tyson syndrome, when somebody is so dominant, so impressive, where his battles are so one-sided that when the match started, you were scared to even go get a beer. Like, you were, you were scared to take a bite of your sandwich because it could literally be a blink and you miss it situation. He was just so dominant that for anybody to give him a hell of a match the way that Jenkins did was considered almost a victory unto itself because I don't have a lot of information on the reaction putting Jenkins in context of how everybody else handled him, but it seems like he was in the upper echelon of people who still lost to Hackenschmidt, but it made Hackenschmidt work for it as opposed to it just being a pure steamroller affair. The Manchester Guardian quoted Jenkins as saying, quote, Hackenschmidt is the strongest white man I ever struck. Oh boy. I haven't been outclassed for 10 years, but he got me out clean. I take off my hat to him. The crowd was reportedly around 5,000, but not sold out. Which, you know, makes a certain amount of sense. Hackenschmidt was not a rare commodity in London. He was wrestling there nonstop. He lived there at the time. You could see a Hackenschmidt match pretty much any time you wanted. And it's not like today where Jenkins would have been hyped and everybody would have known who he was. It was for your casual ticket buyer, your casual wrestling fan, that weird American who's been at this theater over here for the past couple of months. So it's understandable that it drew well, but that it didn't sell out. The Nottingham Evening Post claimed that Jenkins' match against Fred Groon had been canceled and that Jenkins will probably head back to America that week. The ads for the Oxford Theater were updated, quote, Hackenschmidt, special engagement of the great wrestler after his victory over Tom Jenkins on Saturday, still challenges all comers every evening at 10.55 and Saturday matinees. So back to business as usual, and they might as well have had a drawing of Hackenschmidt scraping Jenkins off of his boots. This is kind of cool. I found ads for various English theaters inviting the public to watch the match, quote, reproduced tonight and during the week. Don't miss seeing this great tussle for the championship of the world. This was an early match filmed for theatric distribution. So they were shooting footage at this time. They were making movies. It wouldn't be the whole thing in most cases because you couldn't just, you know, shoot 20, 30 minutes of footage on cameras at that time but you would get like a nice 
good-looking highlight reel of a match that you didn't get to see in person. And this is fun. On July 12th, the Montreal Gazette, quote, It turns out that the promoter of the affair never posted the 2,000-pound purse, but agreed to hand receipts to that amount to the wrestler's managers. The receipts only amounted to 1,200, clear of expenses. When the managers tried to collect the money, they were unable to do so, and the wrestlers will be obliged to sue for it. That's pro wrestling, baby. So yeah, the biggest match they could possibly put together, promises of all this money, and then at the end, the promoter like turns his pockets inside out and shrugs because he doesn't have it, claiming he would turn over what money he had, and then he didn't even do that. Which is a hell of a climax to this story. So Jenkins won this big match to go to England to face Hackenschmidt. He dropped the title under dubious circumstances to Gotch so that it couldn't be on the table when he faced off against the Russian Lion. He gets there and Hackenschmidt wants nothing to do with him. So he wrestles everybody he could get his hands on. He does theater engagements. All he's trying to do is get that Hackenschmidt match and he finally gets it. He loses in two straight falls, despite a great showing otherwise. And when he goes to collect his big payday, he gets nothing. He is essentially told, you want this money? You're gonna have to sue me in a country that you don't live in and you will soon be departing. So Jenkins' story ends with defeat and being stiffed on money and heading back to America with hopefully some money still in his pockets, but without a win, without the fortune he was seeking, and having to go back to the U.S. to kind of start things over and uh, work towards a rematch with Gotch. And that's where we're going to leave the story for now. So his first international tour, not exactly how he wanted it to go, not how anybody would have expected it to go on the financial side of things, but that's pro wrestling to its core. It's a shit show. God damn it, I love it so much. So we'll get back to what he does when he returns to America. Will he regain his title against Gotch? Where will his career go? We're going to find out, and hopefully these stories are just as entertaining for you to hear as they are for me to research and tell. If you don't already, like us on Facebook, follow on Twitter and Instagram. I find a lot of the the illustrations, the headlines, the articles. I like to post as much as I can find because, well, this is what I love, obviously, or I wouldn't be doing it. And hopefully it's what you love because otherwise you wouldn't be listening to it. So we'll get back to the world of Tom Jenkins in a couple of weeks. Until then, take care. <laughs>